So good to be here with you. If you're tight, let's follow on actual Bible, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start there. It's always good to, to, to be with my New Hope Toowoomba uh, family. As always, outside there in the foyer, there's a resource table set up. Uh, we, we just brought the new stuff we've done in the last year and a half, and um, one was just released Wednesday. It was a brand spanking new one um, that was just released this Wednesday, so you can um, pick that up. As always, we give all that away. Um, we, we live with a conviction that we're not simply called to go to heaven. We're called to bring heaven to every place we see hell here, and so that's how we support our missions um, around uh, around the world. Just a quick second, I'd like to take a second and invite you all back tonight. Uh, brand new message, d- different message tonight, Monday and Tuesday. I'll make a couple commitments to you. If you'll give us an hour, okay, uh, it'll change your life, right? It'll be very meaningful, impactful. It'll change your life. The second commitment I'll make is that we'll be on time. So Monday and Tuesday, I realize you have to work. And so I know it starts at seven, which if you're over 40, sort of makes you panic, right? Because people over 40, like myself, 45, um, we, we don't do things outside after seven, right? No, no 45-year-old person goes to a movie that starts at 7.40 because you do the math and you realize you're not gonna be home till 10. It's like, what am I, an animal, right? So, so a couple things, a couple things. Uh, we will be, we'll be done by eight. It'll be a, a timely, impactful time. So give us, give us a couple hours uh, this week. I promise you um, it, it'll change your life. So I wanna talk to you this morning about Jesus and I get to open the scripture about this and ask what happened. And then what's happening is right now because of what happened. And I want to reground us as to why we do what we do at New Hope. Because if I was to ask to one sentence, you got one sentence, tell me what New Hope's about. New Hope is about building a community of teachable people who are learning to live and see their world like Jesus. The question is, why would we do that? And what did that mean to be a disciple of Jesus? The, the word disciple just means student, teachable one. So one that is learning to live, not somebody to believe in, but one who's learning to live and see the world like he did. And so I want to open this up and hopefully Jesus gets really big for for us. This is Matthew chapter 4. This is Jesus uh, calling his, if you could bring that slide up for me, Matthew chapter 4. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. If you're a note taker, that's important. It's going to come back in a second. Come follow me, Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people. An odd invitation at best. That doesn't even make any sense, but it works. Watch this. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Odd. Four grown people quitting their jobs and leaving everything they know to follow a guy who, frankly, his sales pitch needs some work, doesn't it? Follow me. Like, if you're married, how does that even go? So you you get home from work, and she's like, hey, how how was your day? And you're like, I quit my job. You did what? Yep, quit my job. Why? This guy showed up, told me to follow him. I thought it was a good idea. Where are you going? Didn't say. When are you coming back? Didn't say that either. He just said, follow me, and I loved it, right? How does that even go? The, the, the remarkable thing is that Jesus seems to have a ridiculous success rate with this, quite frankly, average sales pitch. This is Mark chapter 2. This is like the fifth disciple. This is a guy named Matthew. Check this out. Bring that up for me. And once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And he, and he walked along and saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Jesus is talking grown people into quitting everything and leaving everything they know to follow him on a sales pitch that is frankly pretty vague. Follow me. Why? 
what would this, why would anybody do that? And when I learned this, um, it changed my life, and I'd like to share it with you and use it to reground us into what we are doing here at New Hope as disciples of Jesus. See, to understand this, we've got to understand that every, that the highest honor in all of Israel was being given the designation of a rabbi. It, it was a designation so special, it only appears three times in the whole Bible. Jesus, Paul, Gamaliel. That's it. That's the only three people designated with that title because it meant you were trusted by the masses to teach Scripture. You were t- trusted by the masses to, t- to teach us how to live based on what that Scripture says. Now, you might be thinking, how do you know Jesus is a rabbi? I know he's a rabbi because they called him rabbi. And you don't get a regular teaching spot in the temple and in every synagogue in Israel just by claiming to be God. That would actually hurt your credentials. Actually, the reason the temple people who hated him couldn't stop him was because he had the right to be there. And so you, you wanted to be a rabbi. It's sort of like this. How many boys grow up in Toowoomba wanting to play rugby league? All of them. How many of them are ever actually going to play for the Brisbane Broncos? None of them. Why? Because most people aren't good enough, right? At some point, every rugby player is told you're going to have to go play at an, at an you've got to go earn a living somewhere else. But the best of 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 the best, they end up making it. It's sort of like that with, with me. This is why every 45-year-old man in Toowoomba has a back-in-the-day story, right? Like, I was awesome back in the day, right? Then I hurt my knee. The knee, the knee took me out, right? The truth is you probably weren't good enough, right? That's the truth. But we'll let you have the knee story, no problem, right? Here, here, that's how it was with being a rabbi, right? So let me explain, I'm gonna try to do this in two minutes, how you became a rabbi. First, you had to memorize Leviticus by age six. That eliminated most people. You had to memorize Leviticus by age six. If you memorize Leviticus by age six, it qualified you to go to two schools. Let me show you the names of those two schools. Next slide. The Bet Sefer and the Bet Talmud. Literally, the school of the book, Bet Sefer. Bet Talmud, the school of disciples. Let me explain. The Bet Sefer is literally what it says. The school of the book. It lasted for six to 12, and your job was to memorize the entire Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. To qualify to go to the next school, you had to do two things. One, you had to prove you had memorized the whole book. And two, you had to take an exam. To take the exam, you had to prove you had memorized the whole book, which leads to this question. If you simply take the exam, you had to memorize the whole book, what could they possibly be testing you on? Your Torah exam was based on your ability to ask questions about the Scripture in order to keep a conversation about God going. The greatness of rabbis was not known for their ability to close conversations, but for their ability to keep conversations going. Think about your Bible. When Jesus was 12 years old, he was wowing the teachers of the law with his questions. Now, if you wowed the teachers of the law with your questions, you graduated to the next school, the Bet Talmud. Now, the Bet Talmud is literally discipleship school. I'll be very quick with this. It was uh, 18 years long. It lasted from 12 to 30, and it was five stages. And the simple idea is if you graduate from stage one, you get to go to stage two, and then two to three, three to four, four to five. It lasted for 18 years. So if you ever wondered why Jesus disappeared from 12 to 30, and then at 30, he shows up and about people going, rabbi, 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 this is why, right? And so what you would do is in that 18 years, you would learn a a way of interpreting scripture from another rabbi. A, a, a A rabbi's way of interpreting scripture was his yoke. It was a summary statement of how he saw scripture, what he bound, what he loosed, what he allowed, what he forbidden. It was this kind of thing. And so when you graduated from rabbis, if at any point you didn't make it, you were told, I'm sorry, you're disqualified for ministry. Go back and earn a living at your family trade. But the best of the best of the best of the best of the best kept 
going until they graduated. Now, at graduation at age 30, the only thing left to decide is, is what sort of rabbi are you going to be? Are you going to be, there's two types of rabbis. There was a rabbi with authority, and there was a rabbi without authority. 99.9% of all rabbis were rabbis without authority. But the best of 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 the best got designated with a very special thing called a rabbi with authority. About once every two or three generations. Most important word I'm going to show you today. Let me show it to you next slide. This is the word that means authority. The word is samika. Now, I want you to learn this word. So with some go to womb gusto, I want you to say this word. I'll say it first. It sounds like this. Samika. Ready? Let's try that. Ready? Go. Samika. All right. One more time with a, one more level of gusto up. Ready? Go. Samika. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to add a sort of a phonetical thing that's very, very Hebrew in nature, and it just sounds like this. All right? So I want everybody to try that. Ready? Go. All right, let's try that again just because it's fun. Ready? Go. All right, so there were rabbis without Samika. Get your cue, right? And there were rabbis with Samika. So the difference between a rabbi with authority and without authority was simply this. A rabbi without authority was a rabbi just the same. But he had to teach the yoke of the rabbi that taught him. So that every yoke being passed down from generation to generation to generation somehow found its way back to some rabbi with authority. So rabbi with authority had the right to make up his own yoke. He could start his own movement, sort of, if you think about it that way. Now, here's how they determined who had authority and who didn't. When you graduated from rabbi school, they baptized you, right? And so think about your scripture. When Jesus was 30 years old, He went out to the desert to be baptized by John. Now, at your baptism, you have to have two witnesses to your authority to be designated rabbi with authority. Think about it. When Jesus was 30 years old, he went out to the desert to be baptized by John. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Witness one, John baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water as a regular rabbi, until a second voice speaks. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And there was thunder and lightning and birds and rainbows. In other words, the father was saying, if no one else is going to speak up, I will. And Jesus comes up out of the water, not just as a rabbi, but as a rabbi with Samika. Which means he can make up his own yoke. And Jesus spent the rest of his life wrecking everybody else's yoke. Think about your Bible. You do not teach as the other rabbis teach, but you teach as one with. Yes, it doesn't mean he was yelling. It meant he was saying something new. So this rabbi now has the authority to make up his own yoke. Now, the first thing a new rabbi would do, he's 30. He's a new rabbi. What's he got to do? He's got to go find disciples. Why? Because a rabbi without disciples is like a philosopher. He's just thinking about stuff. A rabbi has to have people that he's teaching. Now think about it. Where would you go find disciples? You would go to the Bet Talmud. And what would you find at the Bet Talmud? You would find pre-vetted 12-year-old boys who had memorized the scripture, proved they were intelligent, could hold a good conversation. They were pre-qualified people. And the rabbi would go in and, would, and look at these 12-year-old pre-qualified people And he only had to ask one question. Do I believe they can do greater things than me? And if the rabbi believed they could do greater things than him, 
he would ordain them into his rabbi school with two words, follow me, follow me, follow me. Follow me. Every Hebrew boy longed to hear the words of a rabbi say, follow me. But most of them were only told you're disqualified. So this new rabbi with authority, he doesn't go to the Bet Talmud to find his disciples. What does he do? He goes to the banks of a lake. And who does he find? He finds some fishermen. And what does he say? Simon, Andrew, follow me. And they're jumping out of boats for the opportunity. Why? Because they had longed their whole life to hear the words of a rabbi say that. That is the yoke of our rabbi. The yoke of our rabbi qualifies disqualified people. That is the yoke of our rabbi. What value does New Hope hold? New Hope believes that God loves people more than the rules they broke. And so we are here to walk through any process we can to qualify disqualified people. That is the yoke of our rabbi. And here's the thing. Unless you've been given special samika and you haven't, we must live the yoke of our rabbi. We don't have a right to change it and still call ourselves a disciple of Jesus. Oh, by the way, check this out, right? First four disciples, what was their job? Fisherman. Fifth disciple, what was his job? Tax collector. Hang on, where did Jesus find them? At the lake. Hold on. If you're the tax collector at the lake, who have you been taxing? Fishermen. In other words, we're going to find out right now if you four have what it takes to follow me. Can you forgive the guy that's been robbing from you for years and let's go change the world? That is the yoke of our rabbi. Now, once a rabbi got his followers, the first thing they would do is walking training. You wanted to walk like your rabbi. One historian said you could always tell which disciples belonged to which rabbi by how they walked, which makes me wonder if there wasn't like a first century rabbi with like a limp, right? But they would learn to walk. And you could always tell who, think about your scripture. People will know you're my disciple by how you walk, right? And you could always tell who the best student of the day was. The best student of the day was the line leader, just like today. And you could always tell who that was because these rabbis wore these shoes that would throw up dirt, it would throw up dust. So you could tell who the line leader was by the one covered in the dust of his rabbi from the waist down. But this was not dust you wanted to wash off. It was dust you wanted to show off. It was an honor to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So you'd go back to synagogue or temple and you'd find someone, you'd you'd want them to notice. You'd like, hey man, check out my dust, right? You wanted them to know that you'd been following the closest behind the rabbi. And here's why that's important. Because whatever we're covered in the dust in, we will cover other people in the dust of it. And and the only hope for the world is that we're covered in the dust of our rabbi, not the dust of our mom, not the dust of our dad, not the dust of our denomination. And my personal favorite, never the dust of this, just what I was always taught. It's always the dust of our rabbi. Which leads me to this question, where have we changed his yoke and expected people to believe that we believe in Jesus. See, people say, oh, unfortunately, they rejected Jesus. No, normally not. Normally, people don't reject Jesus. Normally, they do reject the image of Jesus presented to them. And that's two different things. Like, there's this, there's this one time. Um, G- Jesus is tested. And they, 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 they find this lady who's caught in the act of adultery. Like, in the act. In the act. Now, look, that's not a great spectator sport, even if it's appropriate, right? To get caught in the act of adultery would be a whole other thing. Now, you know your Bible, right? What does the Bible clearly say you must do to someone caught in the act of adultery? Stone them. 
Now, if you're following along, so they take this lady and they bring her to Jesus. Let's see if we're paying attention. Why do they need Jesus? They need someone with? Yes. So they bring her to Jesus and they say, Jesus, the Torah, which you memorized, clearly says to stoner. What does your yoke say? Now, Jesus is in a conundrum, isn't he? Does Jesus want to stone the lady? No. Does Jesus, is Jesus supposed to keep the Torah? Yes. So Jesus does something genius. Jesus says, you're right. The Torah says stoner. So my yoke says stoner. There, I've kept the Torah. But hang on, I have samika, which means I can make up my own yoke. Oh, oh, so the Torah says stoner. So I, I say stoner. But I also say you can't throw stones unless you're perfect. <laughs> right? So everybody gets tired of holding their stones. They walk away. Jesus does nothing. He just writes in the dirt. He just does stuff like, nah, 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 nah. I don't know. Anyway, so they, they all walk away. And then when everybody walked away, Jesus says to the lady, lady, don't tell me about it. Don't explain yourself. One great question. Where are your accusers? She says, they're not here. He says, great. Then neither do I condemn you. Why? Because the Torah said you had to stone someone caught in the act of adultery. But the Torah also says you have to have two witnesses to condemn somebody. Jesus couldn't make her sin go away. So he simply made the witnesses go away, which automatically declares a mistrial. That is the yoke of our rabbi. What is New Hope here for? We're here to be teachable people learning how to see the world that way. What does that mean? It means we are here to qualify disqualified people. It means we believe in a God that loves people more than whatever rule they broke. And we are here to fulfill scripture instead of being right about one verse. If you want to be right about one verse, you should stone the lady. But when we're here to fulfill scripture, to fulfill scripture is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we can be something more profound than people who are right about one verse. We can fulfill the whole lot. That is what we are here to learn, how to see the world and, and live like Jesus lived that way. That is the yoke of our, of our rabbi. The, the yoke of Jesus was just amazing. There, there's this one time, there, there, was this, there was this guy that was on a cross next to Jesus, and he didn't know any of the rituals. And he said, could you just remember me? And Jesus goes, that's enough for me. That is the yoke of our rabbi. Why? Because God loves people more than the rules. And God qualifies disqualified people. That the God revealed in Christ shows us what we actually mean when we say God is all powerful. Is that true? Sure. But the question isn't whether God is all powerful. It's how does power actually work? And the God revealed in Christ shows us that if God is all powerful, that is true. But God is a power that lays his power down and always considers other people first. That is the yoke of our rabbi. The yoke of our rabbi is we never use our liberty at the expense of love because liberty is best expressed and experienced when it is submitted to the higher ethic of love. That is the yoke of our rabbi. You know, the yoke of our rabbi exists in the Old Testament too. Like there's this, there's this passage called Hebrews 11 where it talks about like the heroes of the faith, you know? By faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, by faith. Uh, if you look, go back and read their story, they all made mistakes with zeros attached to it. It's almost like God was less concerned about their mistake and more concerned about the direction of their heart continually going forward. It's almost like God never asked, are you worthy? He only asked, are you thirsty? Do you want to go to the next thing and say your next yes? And we are here to facilitate and celebrate every person's next yes. That's what we are here to do. That Abraham gave his wife to Pharaoh's harem and said that he greatly profited from Egyptian affluence while she was suffering in the harem. If CNN and the internet would have been around back then, what would we be saying about Abraham? 
If Abraham was available to preach here next Sunday, would we let him? Or would we talk about his past? Moses was a premeditated murderer. I looked this way and that and seeing no one, I killed the man and hit him in the sand. Problem is the next day the sand shifted. You got this leg sticking up out of the sand. God said, you'll do. I'll have you write the foundational scripture for the rest of it. (laughs) By faith, Samson, he had a certain problem with women, didn't he? By faith, David had 400 women. Hundreds of women. Hundreds of women. Do you know there are Christian followers of Christ denominations that according to their bylaws would never let David preach from their stage because of a mistake he made. But they'll open a book David wrote, call it the word of God and fail to see the hypocrisy in that. Come on. By faith, Solomon. Solomon had a thousand women. A thousand women. God said, you want to write a book on wisdom? (laughs) You got to be the smartest guy alive. You imagine that conversation? Excuse me, sir. Are you the guy that successfully navigated the affections of a thousand women? I am. You got to be the smartest guy on earth. Let's write a book together. (laughs) The yoke of our rabbi was always qualifying disqualified people. It was always loving people more than the rules they broke. And it was always fulfilling scripture instead of being right about one verse in it. And that is why we do what we do. The yoke of our rabbi worked under incredible stress. Jesus on the cross under incredible stress was still thinking about other people first, never using his power at the expense of loving people, even if they're wronging him. This is why no message of Jesus that says, if you don't do something for Jesus, Jesus is gonna like, right? That's not the message of Jesus, even if there's a 25 foot cross over the top of the building. It's not the yoke of our rabbi. There's this one time in Matthew where it says, it makes this statement, you know, it's just a quick statement. It says, so Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Jesus, like it almost has this feel like, so Jesus ran his disciples by Caesarea Philippi. But here's the thing, Caesarea Philippi today on a paved road and a motor car is more than an hour from Galilee. You didn't just like sort of run, like it'd be like walking from Brisbane to Toowoomba or something, right? You didn't just go by there. Plus it was the place no Christian would go. Um, it was the headquarters of the worship to the goat god Pan. I've, I've, I've been there. I, I actually took a photo of it. Let me show you the photo I took. This is, I, yeah, there we go. Wow, they're on the ball there. So, so, so I, I, this, is, this is the center of Caesarea Philippi. And the reason this photo is of such great quality is I took it myself. Photographers everywhere are trying to get strangers' arms in their photo. I did it. Get you some of that. This is the center of it. It, it, You got this huge rock face wall. That that big cave over there is the, they they call that the entrance and exit to hell. Even today, they don't call it Caesarea Philippi. They call it Panaya, the city of Pan, where they worship. Over here is the ruins to the temple of Pan. And then over there was the grotto of Pan and the nymphs, the nymphos. Now, because there's children in the room, I'm going to talk in a little bit of code, but I need you adults to pay attention. I do not want to be gross in any way, but I do want to be historically accurate, Right? The goat god Pan was a goat who received worship through public acts with goats of a fertility ritual. Okay. So, in other words, whatever the worst thing going on in Toowoomba today is, it's Nickelodeon compared to what was going on in Caesarea Philippi. Okay. So Jesus takes his youth group there on a missions trip. (laughs) I'd have been fired so bad. Anyway, so they're standing there. And Jesus has to, you could, it's sort of disorienting seeing that kind of nonsense going on. That would be like, what? That would be disturbing. 
And Jesus has to like focus them. He's like, hey, Peter. Hey, bro, right here, man, right here. Who do you say that I am? Peter shakes it off. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, that's right. And upon this rock, we'll build a church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. In other words, Jesus goes into the biggest debauchery you've ever could imagine, and he doesn't attack them for their sin. He doesn't judge them. He doesn't criticize them, nor does he banish them. What he does is he engages their broken narrative to make a better story. And he's like, you're acting like that because you're scared of this? And Jesus stands over the gates of hell and says, bring it on. That is the yoke of our rabbi. I I used to kickbox. I, I, I got marginally good at it. I won the Southeastern Regionals two years in a row, which qualified me for the U.S. Open. I placed high enough in the U.S. Open to qualify for the NASCA World Championships. Um, I'm 45. I do not want to fight anymore. First, it hurts too bad to get hit. And, and now fighting has changed. We used to fight like karate kid style. Now they take you to the ground and pull your arm off. It's different, okay? Not interested, all right? So, but, but I used to do that. And one time, all my friends were overlooking at my trophies. Your mom was quite proud of me. She made this room of my, like my trophies and and I acted embarrassed, but I loved it, right? And so my friends were over, and we're looking at the film of the fight from the U.S. Open. And, um, and, and this guy came in. His, his, he was in my neighborhood. His name was Kenneth. Kenneth was a freak of nature. Like, he's huge. Like, I am six foot two. I am 85 kilos today at 45. He was six foot two, 95 kilos in like the eighth grade He was one of these guys that like shave in the fourth grade, you know? Like we went to recess, he went to the bathroom and shaved. It never occurred to me he could have failed four times. I I didn't really understand. But he was huge is what I'm saying. And he showed up and he said, Shane Willard, I think I can whoop you. And I said, I think you're right. He said, no, I'm serious. I want to fight. And I said, no, I'm serious. I ain't fighting you. Twice my size. It's a rule. He said, I bought boxing gloves to prove I could beat you. I went, what, boxing gloves? We're going to put our hand in a glove and you can't grab me and take me to the, oh, no, that's a boxing match. Oh, we'll do that. You, you said fight. What you meant was box. No problem. So all the friends went outside and they made a ring. You can picture this, you know, fight, 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 right? And I got in the ring with Kenneth Brown. I beat him half to death. I was fast. He was slow. I was skilled. He was not I couldn't hurt him. He was huge. But I was just in and out, in and out, just pop, 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 pop. Just annoying him, really. Probably like a little fly. Just pop, 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 right? And he decided, I'm going to end the, he decided, I'm going to end the fight. He got mad. And he threw a huge haymaker hook that was about at this speed. It was like, I actually had time to think, I'll move now. But when he finished the punch, he left himself in like this position. Let me show you to you. And I thought, I'll end this. And never before nor since have I hit a human being this hard in my life. It's a perfect shot. It's called striking from the ground up, if you're familiar with it. Everything is not, no, no, everything is big muscles leading small muscles, everything together. Right on the base of his chin. Bam! His head snapped that. His knees buckled, right? And I just sort of stood over him waiting for him to fall, like, like that. In retrospect, I should have kept hitting him, but I'd, I'd never hit anybody that hard. I was just standing over him waiting for him to fall. And he, and he caught his balance. And he looked up at me. 
And now he was mad. (laughs) His face turned red. And he said, boy, is that all you got? And it was. (laughs) How many of you know if you hit someone with your best shot and they're still coming, you lose? I forfeited to Kenneth Brown because I hit him with everything I had and he was still coming at me. You know, Paul says that the yoke of our rabbi was put on public display at the cross. Oh, forgive everybody. Oh, bless everybody. Oh, pray for those who persecute you. Oh, forgive everybody before the sun goes. Oh, blessed are the merciful for the... Oh, can you do that under extreme stress? How about 39 lashes? How about a crown of thorns? How about some mocking, some spitting, some scourging? How about some nails in your hand? How about people, how about people tormenting you when you're helpless to defend yourself? Come on, get us, get us, get us. Smite us, smite us. Use your power at the expense of love. And Jesus just kept loving and forgiving and 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 loving and considering other people first by laying his power down. That is the yoke of our rabbi. This is why any message of Jesus that threatens him destroying people if they don't obey him, that is not the yoke of our rabbi revealed on the cross because that is not the yoke of Jesus Christ. And they kept loving and forgiving and loving and forgiving and loving and forgiving until he died. You can't do more to a guy than kill him. Where did he go? I don't know. But Peter said that when Jesus died, he descended into hell and preached to the dead that were there. <laughs> Which means me all kinds of questions like, I wonder how his altar call went. And it says when he rose from the dead, it says dead people everywhere raised. Where'd they go? I don't know. Anyway, here's how I pictured in my head. I pictured Jesus descending into hell and looking Satan right in the eye and said, boy, is that all you got? That was it? You thought you could destroy my yoke by killing me? No. I'm here for three days. Then I'm going to walk out of here. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cook breakfast on the beach for the very person who denied me. Because the yoke of our rabbi is love saves the day. Why do we do what we do at New Hope? We're a community of Jesus followers who are being teachable by learning how to live and see our world like Jesus. What does that mean? We're committed to to qualifying disqualified people. We're committed to fulfilling scripture instead of simply being right about it. And we know that our primary image of God is a God revealed in Christ that loves people more than whatever rule they broke. We are here because we know that God believes in us more than we believe in him. And he's entrusted us with his yoke for Toowoomba, Australia, and ultimately the world. I bless you to know that you serve a God that believes in you more than you believe in him. And he's entrusted you with his yoke. And his yoke is the hope for the world. So may we be committed to being a people who love people more than the rules, to fulfill scripture instead of being right about one verse, to qualifying disqualified people. And more than anything, may each and every one of us be covered in the dust of our rabbi. Grace and peace, everybody.